Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. I am so grateful to Gary Green for stepping in last Sunday. And as I told him, I had not yet watched his sermon, which I will, but I heard immediately and since then consistently what a great job he did. I said, now, I'm not really sure I want to watch your sermon. But I am very, very grateful with relatively little short notice he was able to preach such a powerful message. But I did tell you that I would be a redheaded raccoon. And so I thought perhaps you would see what I looked like the day before last Sunday. It's quite a sight. So I decided that certainly it was the right call and not preaching, not because my mouth wouldn't continue to work. I mean, really, when would my mouth not continue to work? But because it would have been a distraction to you and also to me. Our second Sunday in this generosity campaign, we turn to Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20. Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 20. Let me see if you have your Bibles. Excellent, excellent. Of course, we have Bibles in the backs of the pews. Words will be on the screens. But if you do not own a Bible, please see me after church and I will make sure you get one of your very own. So hear these words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Christians in Rome. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Hmm. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Now I have no idea whether the generosity team and Pastor Leslie knew when picking this particular hymn as the theme hymn for this campaign that it is tied among two others, for my most favorite hymn ever. 
Fun fact to know and share, my other two are praise to the Lord the Almighty and O sacred head now wounded. But come thou found of every blessing is so much one of my favorites that I even taught my children the days of the week to the tune of come thou found. It's just a fabulous song. And this particular verse speaks in many ways to what Paul is in a rather complicated way trying to say. So in essence, Paul is preparing us for chapter eight. He's saying, look, in and of itself, there is nothing wrong with the law God has given us all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve. But if we think that our relationship is built solely on our ability to follow that law, then right away we have failed. Because there's something about having to follow a law that makes most human, every human being to some way or another want to break it. Which is why so many people, one of my dearest friends in particular, has probably a stack this high of speeding tickets. There's just something in eight. And so Paul is saying, the, the laws that God gave in them of themselves are good. But that cannot be the, relationship, the foundation for our relationship. And so he goes on to say that, because in fact, even when I know what is the right thing to do, even when I understand fully what the law of God demands, I don't do it. And not only that, the things I know I should do, I don't. Fortunately for us, he doesn't leave it there and we get to jump to chapter 11, I mean chapter 8 when he talks about the joy and blessing of what it means to live a life in the spirit. But it's a powerful message. And if we are honest, it is one that speaks to all of us. In fact, that's really kind of why Come Thou Fount is tied for favorite. Because it so beautifully describes me. In this particular verse, verse three, oh to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, like a chain, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's me. Paul also recognizes that even though there are powerful experiences that we each could point to, or maybe even not so much powerful, but inspirational stories, experiences in which God revealed himself to us, in which God revealed his love for us, even if we had only one such experience, even if it's nothing more than understanding fully that God gave us Jesus, his son, you'd think then that based on that experience or those experiences, based on that understanding of God's gift of Jesus Christ, we would forever be in an intimate and close relationship with God. But that isn't true, is it? 
I, and I suspect all of you also, struggle because there are times when I feel so intimately connected to God. And for reasons I struggle to explain, my heart will then wander. It will wander away from the path God has set before me. It'll wander away from that intimate connection of God. And even though every morning I can awake and say, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. In other words, God, you have done so much for me. I am still prone to wander. I read an interesting article by a woman whose name I know only as Sarah Ann. And in her article, she talked about reasons, perhaps, that we do wander, that our hearts become disconnected from God. And she said, in part, she thinks that we do this because deep down we think we know best. And she wrote this. When we take our eyes off the Lord, we are silently saying that we, in our own power, are fully capable of plotting our course and finding our own way in this world. Proud and haughty, we dismiss God's power, excuse me, we dismiss God's power and place our own selfish hearts back onto the throne of control because we think we know better. How many times do we make decisions and include God as an afterthought? Or how many times do we recognize only in hindsight that we haven't actually approached God and asked God for direction in far too long? Despite our good intentions as faithful Christians to remain connected to the God we proclaim, Despite our innermost desire even to live lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, it is so easy to wander, to allow other things to intervene. Perhaps it's because we take God's grace for granted and we become complacent. We come to church, maybe we go to Sunday school, we might even begin the day with a devotional or a quick prayer of thanks. But it is very easy to get into a routine and a relationship, whether it's with God or with a family member or anyone else. And the next thing you know, we have an expectation that God is always there and I don't have to put any time or energy into developing and maturing that relationship. God, you'll be there when I need, you'll be there when I ask, and I'm good to go. That's called taking God for granted. And it's easy to do without even a malicious intent. We do the things we know we should not, and we struggle by failing to do the things we should. And when we discover in our own souls that we have taken God's grace for granted, it is surely a wake-up call to see if we have wandered. Sometimes we wander from the throne of God because we are simply afraid. We are afraid of life's circumstances, of the uncertainty of what tomorrow will bring. Maybe we're afraid because health is in jeopardy or relationships are uncertain or employment is iffy. 
There are all kinds of reasons that our hearts can be gripped in fear, and that fear becomes even bigger than the presence of God in our lives. And again, it is not malicious, it is not out of a desire to turn our backs on God, but fail to understanding that fear can squeeze out our reliance upon the Lord. And so before we know it, our hearts have wandered and we have taken a step from the path. When in fact, God begs us to bring our fear to him and to understand that there is nothing of which we are frightened that is larger than God, that God's grace is more merciful than anything we face, and that love always wins. His love always wins. Sometimes it's just simply the busyness of living. Again, we don't have any ill intent towards our Savior, but we just get caught up in doing life, taking care of kids, keeping up with the house, tending to aging parents, spending time adoring grandchildren or grandparents, all the things that life just requires, going to work, doing errands, the day-to-day of life can squeeze us so that in fact we discover when we are honest that we have eliminated Jesus except to when we have just a little bit of time left. Instead of the disciplined approach of putting Jesus first, and then we will discover that there is time for everything else. But sometimes it's just the day-to-day of living that makes us prone to wander. It's also true that occasionally we don't stay connected to Jesus because life is just going too well. And we all know that we tend to turn to the Lord in times of crisis. But when things are going great, one of the greatest fears expressed in scripture of us and one of the greatest fears expressed by our founding father, John Wesley, is that when things go well, we would forget the Lord because it is upon him we fully lean in good times and in bad. Or maybe we've wandered from the path and we have lost our connectedness to God because we don't feel it anymore. Because there was a time when we had that rush of emotion, whether it was at a retreat or at the birth of a child, some experience that so invigorated us and so revealed the undying love of God to us that we literally felt the closeness of the Lord. As if it's only an emotional rush that God desires. But it isn't. God is asking for us to engage in a relationship that is based on knowing he invites us to do so. He expects us to do so. Sometimes the feelings come and sometimes they go, but they cannot be the foundation upon which our relationship is built. I long for those moments of, Sometimes they come regularly and then there might be a long time without them. But God is asking us to be in a committed relationship that is not based on feeling, but on knowing, knowing that God claims us and we are his. 
Sometimes it is a result of unhealthy spiritual practices or no healthy spiritual practices at all of not spending time in God's word, of not spending time in small group or Bible study or in going to spend time there but not taking it seriously as an opportunity to connect with Christ. Sometimes it's because we have allowed our own inner desires and the less Christ-like manners within us to take hold. And before we know it, our hearts are filled with anger, greed, jealousy. Our actions betray us with gossip and judgmentalism. And we realize again, if we are honest, that we have wandered from the path of God. For others, it is guilt and shame, an unrealistic and unnecessary belief that God cannot and does not love them fully. So fear and guilt and shame prevent them from simply standing in God's presence. Others find that the relationship with God is so elusive that it's meant to include and only to be worthwhile if you get some big aha and a great voice from the sky that says, turn right, turn right. When really to stay connected to the God we love is the day in, day out, intentional and deliberate choices to put God first, to trust him with who we are and what we have, It is to trust that God's grace and mercy are not only sufficient for us, but for everyone else as well. It is to seek constantly the ways in which Christ calls us to treat ourselves, to treat him, and to treat one another. It is to say, Lord, sometimes I feel close to you, and sometimes I know my heart has wandered, and I do the things I wish I would not, and I do not do the things I know I should. I've been in ministry about 30 years. And in that time, there have been churches with whom I disagreed on some key issues. There have been church leaders with whom I saw eye to eye and some with whom I did not. A church rightfully is run not by the pastor alone, but by involved and dedicated laypersons who serve on committees and become the decision-making bodies for the congregation. There are some of the churches I have served where it was obvious to me within minutes that more of the congregation perhaps was of my same mind about certain issues within the church or without the church, and others were not. But in all those years, it never once occurred to me to withhold my tithe or my pledge. When Jimmy and I got married, that was something we had to agree, and I'm very grateful he did. And the truth is, it's not because I'm some super religious freak 
It's not because when God called me into ministry and the bishop laid his hands upon my head, I suddenly had less of the desires for things than anyone else. It's not because I became holier or a superwoman of faith. There were times when to tithe, and I mean 10%, was difficult. It meant driving a clunker another year or eating chicken and spaghetti for a while longer. But the decision to tithe had nothing to do with the church. The decision to pledge and to tithe was simply and always has been because of who God is. God says, it's my money. I want you to trust me enough to give it to the people to whom I have called the body of Christ. You will agree with some decisions and you will not agree with others, but that isn't why we tithe. We tithe because it is, among other things, a way of saying to the Lord, I know that I am prone to wander and I know you cannot be bought But I also know that a disciplined act of trust, one disciplined act of trust begets another disciplined act of trust. And saying to the Lord that whether I understand or afraid, whether I'm prone to wander or I stand in your presence at all times and all places, what I have is yours. And instead of saying, oh my gracious, I have to give up 10% of what God has given us, Jimmy and I say, holy corn, we get to keep 90%. And even though we pay taxes, they did that in Jesus' day, 90%. I've had some people recently tell me that they are very discouraged. One in particular saw me last week and was very discouraged. Was discouraged in general, was discouraged in God, was discouraged in this church, was discouraged in the church. But I would encourage you to be encouraged, not discouraged. Now is exactly the time in your life and in the life of this church to come together and to invest all you are in what God is doing in and through this place. God has much wonderful ministry accomplished through Trinity United Methodist Church and that isn't gonna stop. God has assembled in this body of Christ phenomenal people. And you all do great things in his name. I would ask you not to become discouraged, but to trust that God is calling you to this time and to step out in faith and to say, Lord, I believe it. I know there are times when my heart is prone to wander, but I don't come to church to have my own way. I don't give to you to get my own way. I offer you who I am and all I have because you're you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But here's my heart. Take and seal it. 
Seal it for thy courts above. And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.